Well, thank you for having me. Uh, if you want to, you can open your Bibles up to James chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'm pretty sure it's behind me, uh, as well as in front of me here. And uh, we're going to talk about praying for one another today. It's really nice to actually be down here instead of up there. It's so far away from people when you're up on the stage. Um, so really, the only thing I have to do is warn you, if you're in the front row and I'm looking for feedback, you will be called on. So uh, if we take a moment to pray and you want to hurry up and run them back, feel free to do so. But I'm going to read for us James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 in the New American Standard, which is what I have, and I do believe I pass it on. And it reads this way. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray, to, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads close our eyes, and for about a minute's worth of time, I'm going to ask us just to be silent and reflective. And if you're like me during that minute's worth of time, you will be reminded of all the things that you haven't done this week but need to get done. So to kind of prevent that, I'm just going to ask you a simple phrase of, Lord, here I am. Now, I know that's referring to Isaiah and his, here I am, send me. But I want us to just kind of look at it as, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I need comfort. I need encouragement. I need strength, whatever it is, before the next minute, once I close my mouth, is to just encourage you to reflect on him and your presence before him and saying, here I am. Father, as your children, here we are. We're in a cafeteria. <clears throat> but you're here also. We're grateful for the mercy and grace that you have given us over and over again, day in and day out. And how you as a good shepherd are always there. How you hold us in your hand and absolutely nothing and no one can remove us. Father, I thank you for, for such a, an assurance of the great love that you have for us, something that we probably forget regularly because we think we're so horrible, and yet in other ways we become overly familiar with because we think we're so wonderful. And in the confusing mess and mix of living life in the world that we live in, I just simply ask, Father, that as we understand you understand your presence, that you are everywhere that we go with you, that we will embrace wholeheartedly, 
not only your love, but your call for us to also be holy, to be different, to be separate. So Father, now as we talk about conversing, talking with you, may we hear what your voice will say and how you will lead us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I like to speak, I like to get some feedback. Um, Hopefully, you will give me some feedback. If you don't, that's fine, too. Eventually, you you kind of figure out who in which community is going to talk to you and which one isn't. And if so, if you don't want to give me any feedback and you just want to sit there and listen, don't give me any feedback and I'll stop. But I want to encourage you anyway, so don't make me call names. So the first question that I want to ask today is this. What would get you to pray more? What would get you to pray more? So this is... I'm sorry? Immediate results. Immediate results. Okay, I didn't hear what you said, so let's move on uh, to something else. <laughs> Somebody else. <laughs> o- only because, you know, that's the answer, but I want to get feedback. <laughs> I don't know, is that just kind of, do I call you Hermione then, or <laughs> shoot that hand up and get the, okay, fine, I'll just, well, some people might answer something like, well, maybe we mean more messages and books on prayer. How many want to say amen to that, right? Amen to that? No, not really, because if you think about it, how many sermons have you actually heard on praying? How many books have you read? And yet it really doesn't change us all that much. Although sometimes I think as pastors, we kind of think, man, this is the one thing that's going to change your lives. So your answer is perfect. Immediate results, answers. I mean, like if you get an answer to something You're going to respond by praying more because you're recognizing that God moves. And when he moves, why shouldn't I ask for more things that God wants to do in the world in which I live in? And so today I want to talk about effective prayer. What does it mean to be someone who prays an effective prayer? So when we look at these James passages, I'm just going to basically look at verses 16 through 18, even though I read the whole thing. But before I get into that, you have to understand the context of this last chapter of James. And the context is the church is spread out all over the Mediterranean here. And they are suffering. They are experiencing persecution. (coughs) And James is writing to them, and he's encouraging them, and saying, in the midst of your suffering, persevere, endure, hang on. God is with you. And he says, now here at the end of this book, now in the midst of all of your suffering... As you're struggling to follow Jesus in all of this, come together and pray for each other. So really, this passage here is talking about praying for one another. If you read each one of the verses, you can do this on your own. I'm not going to do it as well. Excuse me. (coughs) You're going to see in each one of these verses, there is some form of praying that goes on. But where I get stuck on is when James writes in the last half of verse 16, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man, oh, I have one down here, Sherman, thank you, or I have one over there, it's going to do me no good over there, but I'm just going to waste another bottle, excellent. (laughs) Well, what is an effective prayer? An effective prayer is a prayer that actually releases God's power, so when we look at this word effective, in the original language, it's the word energy, there's an energy that goes into some kind of prayer, but the key thing is this, and I'm going to raise this up for a really quick question, What if I said to you right now, prayer has no power? What's your reaction? (coughs) Ooh, wow, that's loud. What's your reaction? Prayer has no power. Anybody. 
help, I need somebody. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like that. Yeah, sometimes it feels like prayer has no power. Okay, I'm a firm believer that prayer literally has no power. So if you leave with anything, please understand that prayer in and of itself has no power. When James is writing here and he says this effective prayer, he's writing in a voice which is called the passive voice, which means prayer is only an instrument. In and of itself, it has no power. There is someone behind that instrument that actually gives it power. So I, I'm, I'm uh, in my 50s, late 50s actually, and uh, I play in a softball league, 50 and over. On Fridays, there's no team, so it's really low pressure, uh, unlike probably the tournament yesterday, right? And I, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and I have a tendency to do okay when I bat. But uh, a lot of times I make outs, and when I make outs, a lot of guys like me will blame it on the bat, right? It's the bat, man. I mean, not, not the Batman, the real Batman, but <laughs> it's the bat. The bat's the problem. It's not me, but it's the bat. Well, the reality is there's no power in a bat. Some bats are better than others, but the reality is it's the batter that's the issue. And what I'm trying to say there as it relates to prayer is it's not prayer that has any power whatsoever. It's the God behind your request that actually has the power. That changes the way that we think a lot about prayer. It's kind of like electricity. Don't we have a light switch here somewhere? All over the place, right? Is there any power? If you remove that light switch from the wall and you hold on to it, and I had it right here in my hand, what kind of power does that light switch have? Correct? It has none. But if you leave it where it's at, it has the power to put us into absolute darkness right now. So if I'm wondering if we could do this as an illustration, are you okay with this? Can we turn off the lights and see what it's like? Okay, good. All right, I just wanted to see if you were going to be a cult and uh, follow me. No, we're not going to do that. That would probably be a, little, be a little bit weird. Like some visitor comes in and goes, why is it so dark in here? These people, they're weird. I'm out of here. No, but, but the idea is there's no power in the light switch. And so I want you to understand there is no power in prayer in and of itself, that the real power rests in God. And if we understand that the real power rests in God, our energy isn't placed in praying. Our energy is placed in being with God and meeting with him and hearing his voice. Now, when we read in verse 17 and 18 about Elijah, the story behind that is God has asked Elijah to pray that it would not rain because the people have wandered away from him. Now, Elijah could have prayed for anything. So imagine for a moment, (coughs) imagine for a moment you're Elijah, and you realize that the people have strayed away from God. What will you pray to bring them back? Feedback. I have to start. Go ahead. Your name is? I'm old, hard of hearing. I heard Aiden. Really? Really? Oh, awesome, yeah. All right, great, excellent. Okay, Aiden, go ahead. Okay, you start praying that they, but how would you pray to get them to come back? Like, would you pray that they would have a happy birthday party, happy anniversary, tons of blessings? What do you think would, like, encourage people to come back to God? What would you pray? Did you say, like, an invading army? Okay, that's a good answer. So, <laughs> you, that's the part of feedback. <laughs> This is where people don't feedback anymore because they don't want these weird answers. (laughs) 
One of the things could be to pray for an invading army. Because what does an invading army do? What does trial and trouble do? It causes us to go, hey, hold on a second. Where is God in this? And we want to start seeking him. But Elijah doesn't pray for that. What he does is he prays for drought. Which is kind of a weird sort of way to pray that people will come back to God. But here's what I think Elijah understood. He could have prayed for this invading army, but he prayed for what God wanted him to pray for, which made his prayer then effective. Because he wasn't concerned about praying about the issue. He was concerned about what does God want to do. And God wants to bring people back to him, and the tool that he's going to use is drought and prayer. So effective prayer is when God releases his energy to actually do something. And what that calls us as people who are going to follow him is to be people who are in a relationship with him where we're able to hear his voice, understand what he wants to do, and then ask God to release his power. So this is the reason why I say there is no power in prayer because we spend so much time thinking that if I pray more and if I pray harder or if I pray differently or if I add fasting to my praying, God has to answer. And the answer is no. Because even if Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he prayed that an invading army would come and help bring the people back to God, it wouldn't work. Because the power is not in prayer The power is in the God who answers the prayer, and God was calling him to pray that it wouldn't rain. Does that make sense? Please say yes. If not, I'll try to explain it again, because I don't want you to leave here going, I have no idea what that guy said for the first part, but it was wonderful. Anything? Okay, so we understand an effective prayer is one that releases God's power. Who can actually pray an effective prayer then follows up with our next set of the verses? And at the end of this, verse 16, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, it should be a righteous person. New American Standard is a little bit older version of Scripture. But a righteous person is someone who can pray an effective prayer. They are someone who hears God, understands, asks what God wants them to ask for, and they see God answer. So who is this righteous person? Well, let's go back to Elijah. What kind of person is Elijah? Elijah is the kind of person, though that he feels no one is with him, he will still do what God wants him to do. Which, as you saw when he fought against the prophets of Baal, yes, that's exactly what he did. He was righteous. He obeyed God. God said, hey, go do this, and he did it. Pray for it not to rain, and that's what he did. And then God said, pray for it rain, and that's what he did. A righteous person in this passage is someone who is willing to obey God no matter what. So if you want to see God release his power in your own life, if you want to see God release his power in your church, you come to him recognizing that he is the power behind what you're going to ask for because he's asking you to ask for it. And then in turn, because you are willing to follow, you're willing to obey, God will answer. How many parents here who have children that sometimes don't listen? Sometimes. Because we all have good kids, right? All of our kids are wonderful. They basically listen to them except they're having bad days, right? My kids are like that, right? No, they're not. Okay, so if you're a parent already, you're kind of like, I see a couple families looking at each other going, man, this guy's got, what kind of family is that? We know that when our kids do something wrong, you don't go out and bless them with a great big party, right? Do you do that? 
hey, you know, my, my kid did this one horrible thing that really was not a good thing to do. They didn't listen to me. They did it anyway, and you celebrate. You come together and go, so wonderful that you didn't listen to what I said. It's so great that you broke whatever it is that you broke in the house that was a family heirloom for hundreds of years, and we are so happy that you did that. We're going to eat out wherever you want. All you can eat. All you can eat, Kalbi. Go crazy. Right? That's what we do. Is that not parenting 101? Simple. Wait, why are you laughing? Because you know it's not, right? Because the idea of what James is saying is, listen, the righteous person who will pray an effective prayer is someone who actually listens to God. For some strange reason, it seems, as Scripture tells us in Isaiah 66, 18, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Lord will not answer. And so when we look at praying, sometimes we wonder, why is it that it isn't working? Why isn't God not doing anything? Why does it seem that he is silent? He may be very well looking at us and saying, it's because right now you are not walking rightly with me. And what you're asking for is what you want and not what I want. And so I can't answer that. Who's a freshman? Anyone heading off to college first time around? First, okay, right, right. So when you were little, if I remember correctly, your dad told me the story that you asked for a pony when you were four years old. Is that true? No, it's not true. I'm just making that up. But imagine, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> now you're trying to wonder if I'm saying anything that's true, right? But imagine that at four years old you said, Dad, I just love ponies. I, I love ponies so much. Uh, can you buy me one for my fifth birthday? And he does, but he doesn't tell you. And this is going to be the big surprise at the church in the back lot. If there's a pony back there, it's yours. He's got to take care of this pony for all these years. And then when you're getting rid of college and you get the bill and you go, Dad, here's the bill. And he goes, I can't pay for that. When you were five years old, I got you a pony. And all the money that I would have spent on college for you, I put towards this pony. So happy pony, but enjoy college. How would you feel? Honestly. Just, just say, Dad, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Are you not intelligent? Why would you get me a pony? I was five years old. And in the same way when God looks at us and asks for things that are actually going to be detrimental, he will not answer. It is not because he is seeking to harm us, but he is actually trying to help us. And so the effective prayer is prayed by someone who's righteous, someone who wants to do what God wants them to do. It's, it's not about being the perfect person, but the obedient person. But I also noticed something else about Elijah, and if you see this, Elijah was not only righteous, but he was also ordinary. I think this is important for us to understand. When you think of Elijah, a little more feedback, what do you think of when you think of Elijah? Don't worry, Aiden, you're off the hook. Oh, you want to go again? Okay, go ahead. Did you say you think of someone who's really special, right? I mean, think about it. In the end, in the Revelation, who is, who is there? Who are the two, uh, not Revelation, the Transfiguration? Who's there? Elijah and Moses. Like, of all the people who have walked with God, Daniel, right? Ezekiel, right? All the minor prophets, um, Aaron, all these great followers of God, and, and God picks two of them. One of them is Elijah, and the other is Moses. Those dudes are extraordinary, right? 
So we're thinking, what is James talking about? From our perspective, Elijah is definitely extraordinary, but what I want us to see is from God's perspective, he's just ordinary. Does that make sense? From God's perspective, Elijah is ordinary. What makes Elijah different is the simple fact that he was obedient. But James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sharing with us God's perspective on praying, says what about Elijah? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was ordinary. He was just like us. You see, what what the Scripture is trying to tell us is the power in prayer is not based on your status before God. How many of you, when you have troubles, call your pastor to pray? Because they seem to have a direct line to heaven, right? It's true, right? How many of you? Okay, a couple, only a few of us, right? Only a few of us are willing to do it, truly, because we think, I mean, I hear it all the time. Oh, you're a pastor. God must really listen to you more than the rest of us. And my answer is, no, he doesn't. I'm just an ordinary person. Jesus came not so pastors could pray, but so that everyone could pray. There is an equal field. It's not like God says, title, wait a minute, hey, oh, pastor, I will listen to your prayer a little bit more than Puster over there because you're a pastor. Pastor, Puster, listen to you first, not to them. No, he says, all can come. There's a, a level field that says, whoever is willing to be obedient who's ever willing to recognize that I'm the one who has the power, you come and you ask. There's no like level of who is going to get their prayers answered and who isn't. I have to imagine that Elijah did not get every prayer answered. The prayers that were answered were the ones that were effective because he realized what God wanted him to do, and that's what he asked for. He asked for rain, not an invading army, because God wanted drought and then rain. Does that make sense? I mean, I hope you're following that because I think a lot of us kind of feel like I can't really ask for things. I have to ask someone who's on God's special squad to be able to actually ask God to bring about an answer. And I think that's a lie. I think the truth is that when the temple veil was torn in two, it opened up for everyone to have access to God equally to be able to ask God for what God wanted to give if they were willing to listen to what he had to say. So we have an effective prayer and the type of person who prays that effective prayer. And now how do we get that released? So as we continue on to verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now, when you look at the word earnestly, there's like a passion there. There's a strong, strong desire. In other words, if you really want something, you're going to get it. Okay, I've never been pregnant. People have asked me if I am, and I know that's kind of funny, but, but I do carry a little bit extra gut. People come up to me like Sherman, and I go, how, how far along are you? Right? I know. Well, you didn't do that, but I'm just picking on you. But people, people say that, right? I'm not offended, but it's, it's a realization here that, that if you've ever been pregnant, anyone here, have you ever had a craving? What's the craziest craving that you've ever had in pregnancy? Okay, you're going to open up, the, we're going to be a little vulnerable here. A little church action, um, a vulnerability, and comfort and love in the midst of this. Go ahead, I'm going to ask. Craziest craving. 
Italian beef, come on, man. We live in Chicago, girlfriend. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you were in Chicago. Okay, that's fair enough. All right. All right. I was going to say, because like, like, like hot dogs or Chicago pizza. Uh, pickles and ice cream? Come on. Somebody had to have something really outrageously crazy that you really, and you had to have it. Oh, honey, can you please get it? It's two in the morning. It's okay. I really have that sort of craving. And that's the craving in which James is talking about, that sense of, I really want this. I really need this. This is a necessity. I want to see this happen. And that's what he's talking about. This effective prayer sees what God wants, wants it in the same way, and then craves it. Have you ever been around someone with grief? How do you know they're in grief? How do you know someone's grieving? You're my hero. Okay, this is three for three. I'm going to take you out to uh, a little picnic afterwards uh, at the church. My treat, eat whatever you want. But the horse is not yours if there's one out there. Sorry. Go ahead. You know, that's a good answer. They're, they're grieving. They're crying. They're bawling. They can't seem to get a control of their emotions. How do you know someone's grieving? That's how. You can look at that. I mean, if, you, if we go out here and back and someone's jumping around and, 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 and excited about everything that's happening, could you go, oh, that person's grieving? No, because there's an excitement that you can see. And so what James is saying is, listen, earnestly, you can tell when you really want something. You hunger for it. You, you thirst after it. You, you pursue it. See, now, here's the key thing that I want you to understand. When we're talking about earnestly praying for something, we're talking about something that is a heart desire. The, when I first came up on the north side, because I'm a south sider, uh, to work in the Korean American church, I was at a Friday night youth group prayer meeting. Does anyone remember those youth group prayer meetings in the 80s and 90s? Some of you probably weren't even born in the 80s and 90s, and I'm already in my like, late 20s. But anybody remember those prayer meetings? Anybody remember what they were like? I remember the first time I experienced it, I was freaking out. We had two guys. They were what I call the bellwether guys. One guy was like, Chuyo! Chuyo! You know, they're screaming and howling. And the other guy was even louder. Chuyo! Lord! And it's like, I'm looking at this and going, whoa, what is going on here? And I'm thinking, these guys are demon-possessed. Because where I came from, we did not pray like that. But what they were doing was praying earnestly. Okay? But... Here's one thing we have to understand. The louder you shout doesn't mean that you're more earnest. To really know where you are earnest, look at your heart. What are you truly hungering for? I struggled for years thinking about, were those guys competing with one another to see who was loudest? It's possible, right? Because earnestness is not how loud you can be, but how touched you are in the heart where you really have a hunger and desire to see God actually do something. Because effective prayer says, I'm going to pray something, and I want to see God move. I don't want to just sit down and say a bunch of prayers. Uh, have you ever said the Pledge of Allegiance? Just because you say the Pledge of Allegiance doesn't necessarily mean that you are patriotic. Just because you can scream and holler when you pray doesn't mean you aren't saying prayers. You could be very well just saying a bunch of words because you have no heart in it whatsoever. So James is saying, listen, when y'all as a church come together and looking at the context that you're in and you're suffering as a church, 
Some of you aren't getting the jobs that you want. Some of you are losing the jobs that you really love to have. Some of you are experiencing trauma and tragedy wherever you go because you follow Jesus and you're about to give up. But come together and pray for one another earnestly. If someone's suffering, then we pray for them. If someone is sick, then we pray for them. Come together, he says. Confess your sins. Pray for one another. Because this guy, Elijah, when he prayed for his nation, he prayed with his heart engaged because he cared for the people. And when you come together as a church, you want to care for one another. And the way you care for one another is you actually pray for one another. And you don't just say prayers like, oh, God bless so-and-so, but oh, God, give them more of you or change these circumstances or whatever it is that God wants to do in their lives. Because what James is doing is saying to this church that is spread out all over the Mediterranean is that when you come to God, pray for one another and pray these prayers that actually get results. And the results that you want to see is that God actually moves. So pray for what God wants you to pray for and pray with a heart that is hungry and thirsty to actually see something happen. Does that make sense? Because I think James is really encouraging us, even as a church in our day and time, that there is something more than just saying prayers. But actually coming together and praying. I'm encouraged you have a prayer meeting. I'm not going to ask how many people you have coming. Our church, <clears throat> this isn't recorded, is it, by the way? Oh, it is? Okay, can we kind of cut this part out? <clears throat> yeah, my church, uh, I'm in charge of developing a culture of prayer, and it's really going well. Um, our church, last Saturday, we had a prayer meeting, and three people came. Me, my wife, and the guy that was leading worship. <laughs> my daughter comes downstairs. Remember, she's 13 years old, and she's laughing. She's like, you had three people at prayer meeting? <laughs> like, well, that's not funny. But she couldn't get over the fact that only three people out of a church as large as ours would actually come and pray for the church. Now, this, the others have said nothing to me about this. I have no idea how many people that you have coming. I don't know what you even do during your prayer meetings, but I want to encourage you. The call of Scripture is to come together and pray for one another. Because we are going through stuff in our individual lives, whether it's suffering or it's sin. We need God to move in our lives so that when we walk, we walk worthy of Christ. It doesn't just happen. God has to release his power. And it doesn't happen because we pray. It happens because God has released his power. Now, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You don't have to do this, but I think if you do this, you will be thankful for the rest of your life, especially if you continue to do this. I have just started a small group in the beginning of January with my wife, and uh, we called our, our small group the Antioch, uh, colon, The Practice. There is a church in my neighborhood, it's called The Practice, and what they do is every month as they gather on Sundays, there's one thing that they focus on, and they actually practice it. So recently, we're reading through Philippians, and we read the example of Christ who had the interests of others before his own, and then we read that same example which is followed in Paul, Timothy, and then Epaphroditus. And this is what we walked away with, because this is something that I do that on a regular basis. We walked away with the fact that we must put our interests 
secondary to the interests of other people. You see, each one of those people, Jesus, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, cared so much for the church that they were willing to give everything in order to see, first and foremost, that the church was taken care of. And so we walked away this from our small group with this, something that I call praying by text. Now, how many of you have a cell phone? Okay, right, let's just probably everyone here. If you don't have a cell phone and you're in seventh grade, you're looking at your parents right now going, see, everybody else does, but not me, right? See, there you go, all right? That's my favor back to you and my apologies to you. And just say, he's a visiting pastor. He doesn't know anything. That's what I would say, okay? Um, but what we decided was, during the week, we are going to text one person randomly and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. What can I pray for? Okay, so that's your homework. This week, random, doesn't matter who it is, I'm going to ask you to text someone and tell them, hey, just thinking about you, and how can I pray for you? Watch what happens. Hopefully that person will respond, and then they will say, hey, can you pray for this? And then the second part of your homework is to actually pray through text for that person. That's your homework. Say, oh, come on, get out of here. I will tell you this much. In our small group of 10 people, four people who did this said they contacted someone that they hadn't talked to in a long time, but it was so good in having contacted and asking for prayer that they actually got together afterwards for more ministry. Do you want to see your church develop a culture of prayer? I would tell you this. If each and every one of you here picked one person Every week to just simply pray for them through text. To sit down and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. How can I pray for you? And they respond, and then you pray for them. You will develop the culture of prayer in the church because now you're praying for one another and using the tools that God has given you. Not just prayer, but actual cell phones that you have. Does that make sense as well? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I think a lot of churches go through church life and we never connect as a community because we really aren't taking the time to be with one another in a more deep and spiritual sense by praying for one another. You know what's really cool is when one day someone sends you a text message and then says, thinking about you, what can I pray for? And I've seen that happen, even in my own life, because people then text in response in a similar manner, and you're developing a culture. Why? Because like in the book of James, the church today needs one another. We need to come together. We need to pray for one another. And we don't do it because we're so separated. But we close the gap when we use the cell phone and take the time to actually pray for somebody that God has laid upon our heart. If you do that, and you do it for 52 weeks straight, like one whole year, and you can come up to me and say, that was the biggest waste of time ever, I will take you out to eat. But don't lie. Because if you lie, God knows. And, my, and I appreciate the fact that Sherman is going to pay. I take you out, Sherman pays. So we're all good. Thank you, brother. Right? Right on, brother, right? <laughs> Yeah, I heard amen, right? Everyone heard amen on that. All right. And it's recorded. It's recorded, so we have no issues. Okay? So here's what I want to tell you. Please, hear my heart. God calls his church a family, and he wants his family to pray 
together and for one another. And what James is calling these people to is effective prayer. Prayer where God releases his power and something happens. And he causes people to come together, a people who are willing to obey him and do whatever it takes in order to see his will come to pass as they pray. And when that's done, and as they pray, earnestly seeking him, earnestly seeking his will, his desires, becoming your desires, and asking for God to do that, you will see how the community comes together in the midst of its suffering. And that's why we pray for one another. And let us pray now. Father, it amazes me as to how kind, merciful, and gracious you are. When I look at myself and see my ordinariness, or even worse, when I look at myself and think, wow, I am really messed up. My mind, the things I think, my heart, the things I feel. Why? Why do you love so much? And Unable to understand it, but absolutely trusting that that's the way it is because your word says so. You love us with a love that is beyond our imagination and and all that we can even think. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. And you call us not just to be with you, but to ask. You know, when I read your word, Father, there's a lot of you telling us to ask. Yes, relationship is so important in prayer, but you also call us to ask. And we want to pray effective prayers, prayers that you're going to answer, prayers where you release your power. So I pray for us as your family that you will reveal yourself in ways that we grow um, stronger in our love for you more deeply understanding how much you love us, how much you want to work in us, how much you want to work through us, and how much you have a desire to reach this world. Your mission, the mission of Jesus, was to come to seek and save those who are lost. It's a mission that you have given us. And with the hardness of heart that we experience, even in this world, it is your power that breaks into those hardened hearts and shows them Jesus. So I want to pray for us to be those kind of righteous people who are hungry and thirsty for your will, for your plan, to see more come to know Jesus, to see that come to pass. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, not just with an answer to our prayer, but also with hearts that are hungry to see you do more in and through us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.